0: So this last part of John that we're going to be reading is the part where Jesus gives us instructions on persecution. You know, it's funny, I, I've, never, I've never preached on persecution before, so I felt a little uncomfortable, to be honest, as I was preparing for this message today. Um, I realized that this isn't one of my favorite things to think about or talk about, and so I had to lean into some feelings of discomfort, which surprised me. So we're just going to start with John 15 and conclude to 25. So after, after Jesus had encouraged his, his followers with this abiding language of, of of abide in me, remain in me, and you will bear fruit. You will bear much fruit. You will bear more fruit. um, He reminds them that, that we didn't choose him, but he chose us and appointed us to go and bear fruit and fruit that's going to last. And then in verse 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. And then I I just can imagine um, Jesus' followers listening to him as they're just hanging on every word. He's saying, abide, remain, I love you. You know, I'm I'm with you. Um, And then he goes, and if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. I don't know if you've ever been in those conversations with somebody where all of a sudden the conversation goes, this is one of those, I'm sure they were like, wait, you were just talking about love and fruit and all this good stuff. And then you're like, and there's going to be haters. Um, Pastor Jamie and I were talking about this, what to do about the haters. That's what I would entitle this sermon: all the haters in the world. (laughs) Um, And he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And I wonder what his followers thought at that moment. Um, first of all, they, they knew that they belonged to Jesus. They were, that he was their rabbi. They were following him, but he's telling them something different. He's saying, I have chosen you out of the world and you no longer operate or operate Or identify as people living in the world system and he says that's why they're gonna hate you he says remember what I told you a servant is not greater than his master if they persecuted me and I like that they said if they persecuted me they will persecute you also means if it happens to me it's gonna happen to you I don't love hearing that personally (laughs) He says, if they obeyed my teaching, they will be obey yours too. So he's saying that there's going, to be, there's going to be some pressure and pushback, but also some following and alignment. He says, they will treat you this way because of my name, because they do not know the one who sent me. And that's, I, I underline that in my Bible because that's such a good place to remember. is, If we are treated badly because of the name of Jesus Christ, it's because people don't know Jesus. And we have to remember that. We we can't take it personal. It's because we belong to somebody, and that's that's who we are. It's not about what we've done or anything like that, and we'll speak to that later, but it's saying it's going to happen because you identify by me and you belong to me. And Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. That's such a stark um, statement that Jesus makes. They've seen everything I've done in the Father's name, and yet they still hate me, which means there's a hatred for God the Father. And then Jesus concludes this, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So if you can imagine that conversation, it kind of ended on a flat note, I feel like. <laughs> this probably wasn't like a, a real warm, lovey-dovey pep talk, I'm sure. Um, I know I feel unsettled when I, when I end that part of the passage. I don't feel really um, good or, or comforted. I feel comforted knowing, okay, if it's happened to Jesus, it's going to happen to us. And Jesus gives me a lot of courage. But I also know I, I, I struggle with that. Um, some verses. I was gonna. I was gonna share some some reasons for, for persecution to start out with. Um, and again, we, we start out with first of all that Jesus says people are gonna oppose me, and so that means that you are gonna be opposed. Um, an excellent website for um, just understanding what's going on in, in places of the world where Christians are being persecuted is Open Doors USA. And so I found um, I found a really good article on. On the persecution of christians and and it really reminded me also just like after when we had matt and Esty george here we we need to pray for our brothers and sisters in christ in this world that are in the fire you know we experience i guess persecution to some extent here in in the united states as christians but usually it's more social or it 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 might look different but we aren't you know having mobs showing up at our house or people throwing things at us or you know, excluding us from things necessarily like like people are going through in other nations or we're having to like have church in some clandestine location because it's not safe to meet. We don't experience that. And across the globe, and there's just so many stories that are on this website that just reminded me like persecution is real and thriving and and well in this world. And we have no idea what our brothers and sisters in Christ are going through. and And so just be reminded every day Maybe it's that you, you know, I, I collect globes and maps. I don't know if I've ever like disclosed that, but I love globes and maps. and um, and maybe it's going to be that you you have a map and, and every day you choose a country and you just pray for those people in that country. Um, you know, I just feel like we need to specifically pray. I've felt very convicted of about, about that of the the church that is standing in Jesus' name and enduring some difficult um, situations. So according to Open Door, USA, there's, there's five things that mean for persecution, and the first one is that identifying with Jesus means we no longer identify with the world. And meaning the world, meaning the system that opposes God and his word and his love. Um, like Jesus said, he says, as it is. He said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. That means that as Christians, we, we do not seek the approval or the love of the world, but the approval of God the Father. And Jesus says, as it is, you don't belong to the world, and remember that. But I have chosen you out of the world, and this is why the world hates you. Um, that's why the act of baptism is so significant. You know, followers of Christ, I'm sure early followers of Christ, when they were choosing to be baptized, it, it meant taking on a new identity, It was risky to be baptized. That's why they took the times before Advent and Lent of 40 days to really think through, count the cost to what you're doing. Going down under that water meant a new identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. It meant leaving everything else behind. And so it means we identify with Jesus and we no longer identify with the patterns and the systems of the world. Open Door also said this, and, and it really hit me hard. Jesus is a competition for power. You know, we, we think about Jesus being, I think of, of Jesus being humble, um, not, not anything that's a, a power monger. But on this website, they gave the example of rulers like Kim Jong-un in, in North Korea. And rulers that, that ascribe absolute power to themselves, anything else that could pull, for, pull allegiance away from them as ultimate ruler and, and leader means that that's a competition for power. And we think about Jesus being, his power is to forgive us for our sins and to free us from sin and, and give us new life in Christ. And, and Jesus' power is not lording power over like the rulers in this world. It's power under. But even Jesus is seen as a competition for power. Um, you know, I thought about the song that we would sing at camp when I was younger. It was, it was King Jesus is all, King Jesus is all, my all and all, my all and all. I thought about that. Following Jesus means that he is number one. He takes possession of our hearts, our lives, our priorities, our allegiance. Um, And so following him means a competition for power. And that is why Christians are persecuted, one reason. Um, Another one is that Christianity challenges the surrounding culture. Um, Early followers of Christ had to navigate this because in the pagan culture that they were were surrounded in, um, especially Gentile followers of Christ, um, it meant that it was culturally acceptable that you went to the temple and you, and you offered sacrifices to the many gods and goddesses of that time, and that was seen as normative, and, and that's what you did. And if you didn't, something was wrong with you, or, or you weren't agreeing with your culture. And so you think about even in modern-day Christianity here in the United States, I want you to just be thinking about that. How do you see Christianity surrounding, challenging the surrounding culture? There's, there's a lot of things. It could be in, in marriage. It could be in um, sexuality. It could be in, in how we see our money. It could be in um, how we value our time, our resources, how we treat people, um, what we prioritize. And so for followers of Christ around the world, if you follow Jesus, it means you are going to go against the flow. You are, you are going to be a fish going against a stream of a lot of other fish. And so that is, is deemed as a potential threat. It also means that as Christians, when Jesus changes our hearts, he changes how we live, he changes how we think and, and what we do. And it means that as a Christian, doing good means opposing bad. And so it, Open Door brought up that there's, you know, there's um, a very stark difference of people when they start following Jesus. Your motives change, your behaviors change. The things that you prioritize change. It means that you are also going to go against things that are oppressive and, and unjust. Um, you think about in cultures where there might be sex trafficking or in India in the caste system, which keeps people in, you know they've technically outlawed the caste system in India, but it's still it still exists. It still means that if you're born into a certain um, place of society, that's your place. And so being a Christian means that you lift people up. You fight against oppression. You fight against injustice. You fight against the things that are wrong in Jesus' name to restore others and give them dignity. That's what Jesus did. He went around doing good. Jesus got in trouble because he healed on the Sabbath. Think about that. And he was doing good, and he was opposed for that. So for people who follow Christ in our world, it means that sometimes people are going to be offended and mad when we do the good that God has called us to do. Um, they also they also brought up just that a new identity is dangerous. I know um, I shared the story about um, one of the student teachers that was in the Chinese immersion school in Forest Lake when I was a pastor up in that area, and, and he said he did not want to tell his family that he was a Christian because, A, he didn't want to put his, his parents in a dangerous situation, dis- situation of being potentially arrested, and he didn't want to bring shame on his family. I know I know a couple of us have had some discussions about that, but you think about like for, for certain people in the world, um, in a lot of um, Muslim cu- cultures, it is against the law to convert from Islam to another religion. Um, I found out that in, in India, it's it's illegal. It's against the law to, to convert to something else from Hinduism. And so that new identity could potentially be dangerous. You know, you, you could go to jail, you could lose your life. You could lose your property. You could dishonor your family. And so it, it's, it's significant when we think about Embracing that new identity, taking even that brave step of baptism, and what that means for followers of Jesus. Open Door also talked about that Jesus being a competition for other beliefs. Um, They brought up a a situation in um, in Vietnam. In tribal, in, in tribal cultures in Vietnam that it, it was seen as offensive and dangerous to go against the, the tribal customs of um, sacrifice and, and other things that they do. And so Christians would be persecuted if they stopped doing that because when they come to know the truth about Jesus Christ, he says, we don't have to do that. He's done everything for us. He is the sacrifice for us. And so just thinking about all those things is really, really, really important for us to be aware of. Um, I remember when I was in sixth and seventh grade, or maybe it was seventh and eighth grade, um, you know, I went to Bible camp in the summer. And, and this just reminded me of being in youth ministry. Sometimes people that start out in youth ministry play some ill-judged games. I'll just say that. Um, I remember as a youth pastor, I learned a lot the hard way, like, oh yeah, don't do that again. That didn't work very good. I'm, I remember I found this one game in this youth ministry book. It was like, blow, you know, have students have, have a contest of blowing up balloons and and the, the first one to pop their balloon loses. Well, that was a terrible game because I found out one of my students was allergic to latex. That was bad. That was, a, was like, her mom's like, why did you play it? I'm like, I found, I found it in a book. It looked fun. Um, I was like, note to self, I scratched that one out and never play again. Um, I remember one time at camp, I was volunteering at Covenant Pines. And, and I observed the counselors playing this game with the kids called Sock'Em. Another game that I think got banned very quickly, sock is it'd be like all of us gathered in a circle and, um, and we, t- we take off our, our shoes and the goal is to like, it'd be like me and Larry going against each other and me and Larry trying to get one person's sock off first and basically you, you know, yank the legs out of somebody to, to get their sock off and kids always got hurt. Again, that was banned. Um, but one in particular that stands out when I was, when I was a, a kid, it was called um, Christians in Russia. And I, I distinctly remember this. This was at Lake Beauty Bible Camp. This was probably in 1988. And, and for us, it was very real. You know, if you remember back to that time, we, we had the eminent threat of nuclear war with Russia, and, and we were terrified of, of war with Russia. And so they played this game where the chapel was um, the safe haven and then one of the other buildings was the interrogation room and, and we were dispersed all over camp and, and the goal was to hide and evade the, the counselors who were the, the, they were the secret police, the, you know, whatever the secret police was in Russia and or the KGB and then there were other counselors that were like, they were, they were the guides and we were trying to smuggle as many Bibles as we could to one building. And if you got caught, they brought you to this other building, and they simulated an interrogation to make you deny Jesus. Traumatizing. I remember I laid in a ditch for three hours past the time the game was done because I was so scared to move. Again, they stopped playing that game after that summer. Um, But I I kept thinking about that summer and that game because it it brought so much fear up in me. It brought so much fear that at some point I was going to be in a situation and I was going to deny Jesus that I wouldn't have the strength to say that I believe in him, that, I, that, I'm, his, that I'm a Christian, and, and it filled me in with a lot of fear. And I keep thinking about this passage in John where Jesus so brilliantly starts out with, first of all, I am the vine, my father's the gardener. Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit from itself, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, remain in me. He he talks about, as the fathers loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. And, And as I've been reading this passage over and over this past week, I keep thinking we can face anything as we remain and grow deep in the love of God. And we will not respond out of fear. We will not respond out of a place of terror, but out of confidence, out of sureness, out of security. And that's why it's, it's so important as we see how Jesus set up this discussion with his followers about like there's going to be persecution, but he first talked about it's going to happen. But as you remain in me and you are strong in me and you are connected and rooted in me, you are going to face this, but you're going to face it out of being loved and being found in me. And, and that helped me kind of do business with my childhood trauma of, of, that, of, of that game at camp and, and being so worried that at some point I was going to cave and, and I was going to deny Jesus and, and not follow him or believe in him or, or fall to the world and, you know, all that. And so I think it's really important that we do business with if we have some fear of being persecuted or we have some fear of am I going to follow Jesus? Am I going to be true to you? That he's true to us first. Our confidence comes from him first, and then everything else comes from that. So a couple of things I just want to um, note. There are some passages, and Kristen, I hope you have those passages, but there some passages in Scripture that I just want to encourage you with as we think about persecution. Um, again, in, in John 15, 18 through 26, Jesus talks about persecution. Um, and then in Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, who was dealing with a lot of persecution, think about Paul. He had gone from being a persecutor of someone persecuting to someone that was persecuted himself. And so he reminds the followers of Christ in the, in the Church of Rome. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And he reminds them, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And then he goes on in verse 9 to say, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Remember that. As we face whatever we're going to face, be faithful, be joyful in the hope that God has for us, be patient in the affliction, and be faithful in prayer. In 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through through 13, the Apostle Paul reminds us of this as well. He says... For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored, we are dishonored. To this hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we are blessed. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. And it's because of Christ. There's people right now that are living that. And maybe to some extent you feel like, yep, I feel like I identify with that. In First Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12, here's some more encouragement. Or 1 through 2, sorry. He says as for other matters brothers and sisters we instructed you how to live in order to please god as in fact you are living now we ask you and urge you in the lord jesus to do this more and more for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord's Je- of the lord jesus and then scoot over to verse 9 and he says now about your love for one another we do not need to write to you but for you yourselves you've been taught by god to love each other and in fact you do love all of god's family throughout macedonia Yet we urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business and work with your hands, as we told you, so that your daily life might win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. He's telling them how to live in face of a culture that does not embrace, embrace Christ. And he says, you know, live, live quiet, respectful, godly lives. Don't give somebody an excuse to go after you. He gives them some encouragement. Um, and, and funny thing to note, um, several of the commentators um, also took a pause on John 15. When we think about how God wants us to live and, and what Jesus says about persecution in this, in this chapter of John 15, um, someone said, there's also a thing of being obnoxious and being persecuted for being obnoxious. And, and that, was, that kind of stopped me right there of like, what persecution is, and what persecution isn't. So just a couple things I wanna I wanna encourage you on. I thought about this of of as we follow Christ, there there are gonna be people that are obnoxious. And so that's a whole different thing. But then there's also this trait of people pleasing that we have in our world. And I think a lot of us have in ourselves there's pleasers and there's not pleasers. But I want to speak to two things that could keep us from first of all representing Christ well and also thinking about how our aim is to please God and not, not this world. And if we're struggling with that thing of persecution and what do I say, what do I not say, I hope this encourages you. First things first, to the, the point of the commentator saying, um, if you're persecuted for being obnoxious, that's not the same as being a Christian. <laughs> um, and so first of all, being obnoxious means that you have a difficult personality or you lack self-awareness. And you might have negative social or emotional consequences from others that does not constitute persecution as a Christian because people don't like you because you might be a jerk um, some some of the commentators touched on this personality trait which surprised me and also that a way of self-awareness and differentiating between being persecuted because you're a follower christ and pre- treating someone poor because they might have bad behavior or bad manners and as christians we want to practice patience and long suffering and there's also times that we might have to learn the hard way from manners or behaviors That might be getting the way of us living a healthy and life-giving way in relationship with others as well as representing jesus and making the god we look so appealing and wonderful by our love and our goodness and how we treat others and so there's that and then there's people pleasing and i like to tell my patients this i'm not in i'm not in recovery of, of substance use but i'm in recovery of people pleasing and so I think, I think the work that God has been doing in my life is I've been afraid of what am I going to say if I'm ever persecuted? What am I going to say if I ever get to that point of do I know Jesus and, and will I say yes? And it's, it's people-pleasing is for us as Christians. It's do we fear God or do we feel, fear people? And how does this impact us standing in our faith? People-pleasing, simply put, is placing or allowing the needs of others to come before your own. It's, there's some positive, positive traits for people-pleasers. We're usually agreeable, helpful, and kind. <laughs> but on the flip side, people-pleasers have difficulty advocating for themselves or what they believe in. In clinical language, people-pleasing is called sociotrophy. It's a feeling of being concerned, overly concerned with pleasing others and having their approval. And so boundaries are needed for those of us who experience the desire to overplease others at the expense of our own values and beliefs. This shows up in the form of worrying what others may think versus what God thinks or God desires. It could be like doing things that sacrifice or go against our value system and decisions made from a place of fear and not abiding in Jesus. It goes back to that as we abide and we remain in him, he gives us confidence and he works on us. People pleasers also usually pretend to agree with people and their beliefs that are not congruent with their own value system or convictions. And we have to lean into that and understand where does our sense of self-worth come from, our sense of security, and, or is it maybe past trauma that's a root cause for people-pleasing? As Christians, we live in the already and the not yet. We have to live as a citizen of, of two places right now. We're a sojourner here on this earth, but we are citizens of heaven if Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And so our aim is to please God. And this will help us when we're tempted to yield to persecution or, tre- or mistreatment. When our fears of persecution come and and Jesus spoke of this in, in Matthew chapter twenty four, it's it's interesting. He he said there's gonna be wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. He says in verse nine, he says, um he says in, in oh I'm on the wrong one. Jesus says, you'll be ha- you're gonna, he's telling his followers, you're going to be handed over, persecuted, put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he says, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world and a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We live in the blessings of people who abided in Christ because we got to hear about Jesus. That helps us. So when your fears of persecution come, the what ifs that Jesus spoke of, and that we get encouragement from um, the writers of the New Testament, be reminded of your security ultimately coming from your relationship with Jesus. A relationship that as you abide in him, you dwell in him, that you rest secure in him. That is why Jesus explained all this to the disciples first, that they would respond to difficulty from a secure relationship in him. When pressure comes, and it will, we have no idea what it's going to look like for us as we go life um, together, but when persecution and difficulty come, you do so out of grace and strength for him. I thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I thought about Daniel in the lion's den. Esther, Jeremiah, Mary, Elizabeth, so many. They demonstrated having God's strength with them to withstand pressure to yield and bend to the power of the Holy Spirit. That is where we get our power. Remember, too, in Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says this, you do not battle against flesh and blood, but you battle against demonic, demonic authorities, um, things that are not, not of God. And we must remember this and remain in Jesus, praying and keeping our eyes on him and our eternal home in heaven as we abide. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you have given us your word, which is so encouraging and, and fills us with boldness. Lord, we, we do pray for the persecuted church in this world. We pray for people, in even in our own country, maybe they're persecuted by their families or ostracized um, socially. Or maybe maybe they are just being outright shamed because they belong to you and they live differently. Oh God, I just pray that, that you would encourage those who need to be encouraged right now. Lord, that you would encourage us to live lives that, that look different because of you. Help us not to be afraid of what's to come. And Lord, I pray that you give us courage and remind us that your love strengthened us and keeps us secure. God, we love and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.